welcome to the Betsy Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are here at the end of September. We're actually on October 2nd, which is crazy. Yeah. September ended so quickly. Did it exist? I don't know. I don't know. Wake up Green Day, though, because (laughs) September is over, baby. Yes, it is. It sure is. And we've got a hell of a topic for you here today. Now that September is officially over, we thought it might be in bad taste to do it during September, but now that it's over, I feel like everything is fair game. But I think we do want to get into some liberty for this week because some new information came out regarding the Gabby Petito case. Yes. And it's official. Brian's guilty. Okay. I don't care what they say. Brian did it. There's no question. Last time we checked in with y'all, Brian had disappeared. He had just, he was nowhere to be found. And everybody was kind of like, huh, okay, Gabby disappeared. And now Brian is also missing. So now we know that he did it, basically, yeah. Yeah. because Gabby's body was found. And do you know what state the body was in when it was found? They didn't say. They didn't say, like, the state of decomp or anything like that. Um, and they haven't actually released the cause of death. They've released the manner of death, obviously, which is homicide. They're holding that back, the cause of death, for now. So we really don't know when they when they found her and it is really crazy with social media how much it played into things because her body was found i think like 700 yards from i don't know if you saw the family that had the video of the of the van yes in that park and her body was actually found only like 700 yards from that which who knew social media could actually be a good thing and could help (laughs) us track this shit down i know that we sort of brought it up because tiktok warriors were on the case like they were on this shit they were witnesses they were coming out of the woodwork they were giving their theories and I'll tell y'all, they knew from the start that Brian was guilty. Oh, yeah. Like, they did not take a second to consider other sources. I mean, maybe some of them did. But everyone that I watched, they knew Brian was the culprit. And they were on him like white on rice. They knew something smelled hinky. And they were all over it. So, it's interesting, too. I mean, now that they've released the body cam footage... I think it just adds a whole new dimension to the case. Yeah. Well, I think the other crazy thing to me is the fact that they got home. He got home with her van without her. And then his family went camping from the 1st through the 6th or something like that. They had the they had the camp lot reserved. Clearly not all that worried. No, no. And it's right on the water. And it's very... Oh, boy. You know, there were reports, I don't know where it stands right now, but there were reports that some of the cam footage of the uh, park where they were camping showed all of them coming in with the camper and only two people going out. Oh my gosh. So, you know, what are you, you know, to infer from that? Exactly. Nothing good, we'll put it that way. No, no. But what did the body cam footage depict? It was an officer, right, who yeah. was responding to, I guess, like a domestic dispute or what they thought was a domestic dispute between Gabby and Brian. And what I saw was Gabby, basically the officer kind of pressing Gabby for more information because the officer clearly thought something more was going on with this couple and something was rotten in Denmark. So the officer pressed Gabby and said something, you know, asking about her state and if she, like, was okay, if she felt comfortable and safe. And at least the the video that I saw, which was very brief, showed Gabby just breaking down and, like, sobbing. 
was was the one you saw like today or was it earlier it was earlier Uh, okay so the the initial um body cam that was released was one officer and that definitely showed that there was another officer's body cam footage that came out i just saw it today so the one you saw was probably oh. the one that everybody was initially referencing. And the big controversy was that they were reported by two witnesses at this organic um, grocer as being in an altercation, him slapping her. And then the officers pulled them over. And apparently, initially, we thought they didn't have the report of this couple. Like, the person that called them in got their license plate, got the van description. So... They knew, you know, it would be Gabby and Brian pulled over. Right. And um, initially we thought that the officers that pulled them over didn't have that information, so they didn't connect the two uh, instances. And then this new body camera footage shows that they did get that report and that he actually did question her about, you know, he actually called up one of the witnesses and questioned her about the whole incident and... I'll be honest, I don't think it gives any more insight into how how officers perceive the situation because it definitely, what she was saying, what the witness was saying, uh, kind of all went to the same thing of like, yeah, she was the aggressor, if you want to put it that way. It's a really hard situation because even if looking at, at, you know, what she's saying, what he's saying in this situation, in a lot of domestic abuse situations, the woman isn't going to come out up front and say hey this is actually happening right so it's a judgment call for sure but i don't think it shed any more light necessarily on the situation than the first one did yeah but what we're waiting for now is i guess for more conclusive results from the autopsy regarding cause of death right because at this point we don't have any information as to the state of the body when it was found we just know it was homicide right so that'll be a really interesting thing to see as it develops yeah yeah and so i i think at this point they still do have her body because they had a memorial service her parents did um but i i think they still have her body at the coroner's office now so they're definitely doing a deep dive on it like they should to try to get any bit of evidence so all i can say is brian better hide and he better hide good long and hard also i had heard something about um brian's like friends or friends of gabby's or whatever had said that brian was like trained in survival skills have you heard this whole thing yeah and that he like he can stay out there for a while. He can stay yeah. out there for a long time is yes. what I was thinking. Like, he can yep. bear girls that shit, eat his own pee or whatever. Oh, yeah. And, like... Cut his arm off and survive Yeah, style. and eat it or whatever. Yeah. He better hide, though, because the Petitos are from Jersey, and, like, they will know, come and get you. He doesn't know what's coming. Yeah, there's if, nothing petite about him. Absolutely. <laughs> there is nothing. There's nothing going to be petite about their yeah. reaction to him when they find him. Yeah, well, and the only other interesting thing that is just, again, like, he's guilty clearly no question when he came back um so first of all i i don't think they found gabby's phone yet they got uh access to the records and the location but i don't think they found the physical phone but when brian came home within the first week of being home he bought a new burner phone which which please it, it, it apparently according to the parents has was left when he went up on this 
hike and disappeared but also like why is he buying this new phone when he gets home right now like yeah. of all times you're really gonna you're gonna hope that we think you're innocent i yeah after i don't know doing what that? you were what you were thinking what idiot. are you thinking what a dumbass yeah. Yeah. oh my god i so, don't i don't care if he can survive out there in the wilderness he would not survive in you know the criminal justice system because he's not too smart there absolutely not well hopefully by the time this episode airs and especially by the time we're recording our next episode brian will be frying because he is guilty g-u-i-l-t-y baby so i can't wait (laughs) i know that would have been (laughs) g-o-o-l-t-e-e But yeah, he's he's got to fry. He's a, yes. a bad kid, and I don't know what was going on there, but whew. air that laundry out to dry. <laughs> yep, that dirty laundry. Speaking of liars, today's topic, like I said, is a little bit unsavory for the month of September, but we got a recommendation from one of our listeners and one of the folks who we've interviewed, one of our favorite interviews, yes. who is the sex therapist sarah rosen and she oh my gosh if you haven't heard her episode it's probably our most listened to episode it continues to come up week after week week after week and yeah she's just she's so wonderful she's such a great person and ally and um wonderful resource for anybody who's struggling with sexual issues sexual needs whatever that aren't being fulfilled she's absolutely lovely so we just wanted to thank sarah rosen so much for suggesting this topic today she is truly the gift that keeps on giving not only did she give us an awesome interview that again keeps coming up over and over again but she also made the suggestion for today's story so we didn't want to do it too close to 9-11 because it is a 9-11 farce story and you know obviously we wanted to give the time and space for the real 9-11 survivors and victims of the attacks to be in yeah, that moment and it. Yeah, yeah exactly 20th anniversary and everything it's a big it's a big, big year yeah but this story is something that has fascinated both of us for a long time mm-hmm. it's a crazy crazy tale and it's all about tanya head yes. and the she, woman who wasn't there the woman who wasn't there you guys i mean if you are anything like us this story is gonna make your hair curl because of all the events to pretend you were at 9-11, like, what the hell is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, sick. So I think we'll probably start off with the story that she told. Yes. And kind of what everybody thought the truth was. And then we'll get into how the truth came out. Yeah, what kind of happened and what the actual truth was. So Tanya's story amongst, you know, even the survivors from the World Trade Center attack they even said her story was incredible. Like, the survivor's guilt and the kind of comparing trauma to trauma, all of them even said that hers, like, I can't feel bad. She went through so much more. Which it makes it so much more fucked I, up that yeah. she lied about it all. And went so nuts on it. Like, it's, it's awful. So her whole story, very detailed, she said she was on the 96th floor in a conference room of the South Tower, which is World Trade Center 2, And she was chairing a meeting for her company, Merrill Lynch, which remember that because it comes up later and she's stupid. It's a nail in the coffin. (laughs) Yeah. And she said that all of a sudden she heard people shriek and she looked out the window to see, you know, that big burst of fire and smoke in World Trade Center 1. 
And at the time, her fiance was actually working on the 100th floor of World Trade Center 1, which was right in the impact zone. So she's looking out trying to determine, you know, if he was in that area counting the floors and whatnot. And on the 96th floor where she was, she knew that the elevator wouldn't come up all the way. So she wanted to get out. She knew she had to go down uh, a couple floors to get to an elevator. So she actually went down to the 78th floor. Which the fact that you're going down to the 78th floor is nauseating if you're afraid of heights. Yeah. How tall these buildings were and everything. It's just terrifying. Especially if you were actually there. Oh my God. (laughs) And not making the whole story up. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Like she, she is just awful. Like I, I can't imagine concocting these, you know, this story with such detail. So she said that she and her assistant went down to the 70, 78th floor, the sky lobby, and everyone's trying to get into the elevator there. And um, they knew that there was an express elevator that would take them down to the 44th, which, like you're saying, with height. Yes. Can you imagine how quickly a uh, an, an express elevator goes from the 78th to the 44th? Ooh, talk about ears popping. Ooh. Yikes. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, that's okay. And so they're apparently waiting for the elevator there when another woman yells, another plane. She, you know, screams, another plane. And they look out and uh, the plane comes through, which actually hits between the 77th and 85th floor. They're on the 78th. So she is right Right there there in the impact zone. She says that she even saw the plane wing slice through the building right above her. Which is nuts. Uh, her assistant, Christine, the mythical Christine, spoiler, is instantly decapitated. Which, pun like, intended, how? Tanya head. Yeah, true. Not the time to lose your head. Yeah, seriously. Christine. She kept her head. Exactly. Yeah, she Tanya, kept her head I'm about the only her. one with my head. And so she said that she was hurled back by the force and thrown against, she says this in all of these interviews, a marble wall like she's very specific about the marble wall ouch yeah and knocked out and and here we go we're already hearing about some of these individuals that are well known from this whole terrible incident she says that when she regained conscience consciousness there was a man with the red bandana which he is a real person like this yeah who actually went through it which is so disrespectful that she involved these true heroes from 9-11 and, you know, concocted this story with them in it to yeah. make it seem more legitimate. So, yeah, she said Wells Crowther, the man with the red bandana, was putting out flames on her arm when she woke up. So, what the hell? I know. And she said the burns were so bad. Beca- and this is where we start with, like, the onomatopoeia. Like, she is just, mm-hmm. like, everything is just the worst everything. of the worst. Like, yeah. first your assistant gets decapitated. Then you get knocked out. Then your, your arm almost falls in the other off. building. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like- it's like catastrophizing a a true catastrophe from the beginning like it wasn't enough that you were supposedly in the building at the time you have to then have your arm catch fire and apparently her arm was so badly burned and injured that it was almost detached Mm -hmm. from the rest of her body a man presumably helped her through the rubble and another man said (laughs) hey wait a minute Give this wedding ring to my wife. Like, what? I know. Like, okay, let's not try to help, like, him get down. Like, yeah, by all means, just take the ring down for him. Like, that sounds really believable, but okay. So, yeah, some rescuer presumably told her there's one stairwell still intact. 
So she like hobbled down that. It was presumably more than 50 flights of stairs. She was weak. She was passing out. She fainted. And finally, when she regained her consciousness, some firefighter was supposedly standing over her. He carried her down the last 20. At least she made these other people sound like heroes, too. I mean, they are true heroes. So they didn't need your help, Tanya. But, like, at least she's adding, you know, yeah, the heroism. Yeah, she's at least not making herself a hero on top of being the ultimate victim. Exactly. Yeah, talk about playing the victim. That's so true. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so she came out of the building, apparently, just as of it course. was collapsing. Oh, my God, what are the odds? Naturally. The firefighter threw her into the arms of another firefighter, who then threw her <laughs> under, like a sack of potatoes, yeah. under a fire truck. How'd the arm survive all this? Yeah, the, meanwhile, the arm is, like, at this point dangling from a thread. <laughs> yeah. And supposedly this firefighter shielded her with his own body. And then she remembers waking up in a hospital. Her parents arrived from Spain. And that's when she learned, spoiler alert, the ultimate, most crushing, sad loss. Her fiancé was dead. Now, how the hell do you justify making this shit up? Because people really did go through this. I mean, we don't need to tell you that 9-11 was a real thing. But... People went through horrible things, and we were really, you and I were, like, reliving 9-11 this year because there was just so much extra press and specials on TV and stuff like that, and we were really remembering, like, what it felt like to learn about the impact and, you know, being in Pennsylvania, we weren't close, close, we knew people, but they were sort of more distant, but knowing all that, the outright disrespect of this woman to make this up when this is someone's real story. Yeah. But it's not yours. No. So no. what are you doing? Why, too? Why? That's, I think, the biggest. Like, why? Why? So, yeah. Yeah. So in this supposed story, Tanya, things only get worse for Tanya. Of course. Her arm gets reattached. <laughs> But she doesn't leave the hospital until Thanksgiving. Yeah, which is November 2001, for all you Arhousians out there who don't know what Thanksgiving is. Uh, Yeah, all you folks in Denmark, which, again, thanks for your service. Thanksgiving is two months after 9-11. Right. So, okay. Um, (laughs) This is where she gets Uh, really artful with her story. Do you want to tell this part? Yeah, so, again, we're not letting go of that story about the ring, the wedding ring. She apparently researched the man who gave it to her, finally found the woman. Uh, The ring had the word forever inside. Don't know why we're adding this detail, but okay. Found the widow and gave it to her. And when her story, when Tanya's story comes out later on, she never discloses who these people were. She's very hush-hush about it. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, So tries not to make a big deal about it. Which is ironic that people probably were like, wow, how like humble of her to not want to share her story when in fact she was already stepping so far beyond the scope of what she should have ever done. And it's self-protection again because she doesn't want to get herself in deeper by throwing out another name that's not a real person or, you know, whatever. Then she also... Apparently, according to her, that's when she learned that uh, Wells Crowther was the one that actually saved her, the man in the red bandana. So he was actually a real a real person, like we said, a 24-year-old equities trader and volunteer firefighter who helped people escape the South Tower and actually died in the collapse. Which, a true hero, Ugh, people. 24 years old, 24, too. and to have the presence of mind to, as a volunteer firefighter, run toward the danger instead of away from it unbelievable and 
yeah, again, so disrespectful that she would rope somebody like this into her story, a true hero, and for her to just selfishly weave him into her story when he can't even defend himself because he passed away in the rubble. Like, it's just sick. Yeah, well, and his poor family, too, we'll we'll hear shortly, um, learn shortly about, you know, yes, these people passed away, but a lot of them, you know, pretty much everybody has family, friends, whatever left behind, and... The impact that her story has on them is just, it's just awful. So again, like we said, you know, her story was just so incredible and unique because even amongst all these survivor communities, she fell into, you know, two categories, really. She was a survivor herself, and then she also lost someone in the towers. And again, to make it even more unbelievable, she would have been one of only 19 people above or at the point of impact of one of the planes to have survived right and emphasis on the word unbelievable because obviously it was not to be believed because this broad was a liar this group of people these 19 people it's a miracle that they survived for her to just lump herself in with them when she didn't do anything to deserve it is just excruciating yeah getting into the story of her fiance who was in fact a real person was actually killed in the attack which Again, another instance of somebody who can't corroborate her story or deny her story because they're dead. Right. Um, But anyway, his name was Dave, and he was known as Big Dave. He was a consultant at Deloitte. Apparently, she had met him in February of 1999. She had just gotten to New York from Barcelona, Spain, where she grew up. Meanwhile, this is like reeking of Hilaria Baldwin vibes, like Hillary Baldwin, a.k.a., who said she was Spanish because she spent summers in Spain with her family and said her name was How Hilaria. How you say cucumber or whatever? Yeah, literally, <laughs> like, faking an accent and all this shit. Anyway, got all the makings of a great liar. But anyway, apparently she arrives back from Barcelona, Spain, where she grew up with her family, and apparently they met at the World Trade Center uh, when... And- and let's just like make this the classic New York tale love of all story tales and tragedy of all tragedies that center around the World Trade Center. Of course. So she told the story that she and Big Dave met at the World Trade Center when he took her cab. And every year she I know. And they have her on they have her on video doing this. Which is humiliating. Yeah. It's just like the Hilaria Baldwin, except obviously so much more sinister, saying, Oh, how you say cucumber yeah. and it's like Bitch, your name's Hillary, and you grew up with your family in Boston. (laughs) Right. Anywho, so after 9-11, she says that every year she went to the memorial with a little toy cab to put in the memorial fountains to remember Dave by. And they were supposed to have been living together on the Upper East Side with a golden retriever puppy called Elvis. Which even the dog didn't exist. We'll learn later. Which is horrifying. Like, how do you invent all this stuff? Honestly... Oh, there's some skill to these lies at this point. But they were going to get married on October 12th. Mm-hmm. And, it, oh my God, do you want to tell the proposal story? Yeah. So she said that she comes home and there's rose petals from the door to the dining room. She saw Dave dancing there with a grass skirt, coconut bra. Which, not my dream proposal. <laughs> no, I don't know about you. I, no, no, definitely not. And they were, you know, he's dancing there to Hawaiian songs. This also would not be my dream, this next line, but 
that's just me with my OCD. He said, tickets to Hawaii leaving the next day. Which, as if, first of all, that sounds just, that's almost more unbelievable than the fact that you were on the 75th floor or whatever when the <laughs> right. plane made impact. Oh. And that, and that your assistant got decapitated. Right. Like, I I believe that more than I believe well, that your husband brought. It gets better, though. Oh, Not even give that. it to me. He said that he had a white dress made for her, specifically it, okay. ready to go. Okay, like, good one, yeah. Big Dave. Yeah, had the parents come over, all in Hawaii, and, you know, this is her kind of getting around things. She says it wasn't a legal ceremony, but it was kind of a – her story's so weird about this wedding stuff, like – I guess this wasn't necessarily what she considered a wedding because they weren't getting married until the 12th, but this was some type of, like, little thing? commitment <laughs> ceremony or something. I don't know. I God. don't know. And then here's the part I would love to know if you know anything about. I've never heard about this. So she said, obviously, you know, they were going to get married on the 12th. That didn't happen. They didn't have a marriage license yet. You know, they hadn't gone to even get that. And she said that the judge posthumously proclaimed them married oh fuck off i feel like that's impossible you can't marry a dead person like i just i i don't think that's (laughs) i don't think that's possible (laughs) i hope it's not at least like that's some weekend at bernie's shit here (laughs) like are we gonna put sunglasses on him and then like walk him down the aisle i don't think so so that's kind of her whole backstory that she told let's talk about how she got really involved in this community and then how eventually her story got started exposed. to unravel. Yeah. yeah. So she not only told her story to people, but she made it her business to set up a Yahoo group, which honestly takes us back to the the vintage of this story. I Actually, I just heard that Yahoo Questions is gone now. Remember no Yahoo way. Questions? Yeah. Oh my god, I feel like I've recently looked I into know. Yahoo well, Questions. Well, they might the old ones might still be there, but I think they like don't you can't let ask you. any new Mm-mm. questions. No. Wow, what a shame! So that and Ask Jeeves are yeah, gone. they were great forums. I'll tell you that mm-hmm. for free. But yeah, so she sets up this whole survivor group, which what the fuck? And in 2003, she meets with a guy named Jerry Bogich, who founded World Trade Center Survivors Network, and. They decide, okay, like, we got a good thing going with my group. We got a good thing going with your group. Let's merge the groups in a Venn diagram of groups. So she becomes president. Mm. I know. And not only did she become president of this group, that was not a role before she created it. Oh, I'm sure. So Because it's all about you, Tanya, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My God. So she, during her time, she worked for multiple support groups She had a ton of articles written about her. In 2005, she gets picked to lead tours for the Tribute World Trade Center Visitor Center, where she gets photographed with the mayor at the time, Michael Bloomberg, former mayor Rudy Giuliani, and former New York governor George Pataki. Now, so this woman is like the talk of the town. She's the town hero. Everybody loves her. And the icing on the cake of lies is when she meets with Wells' family, a.k.a. Man with the Red Bandana, and speaks at his memorial service. I know. Well, the thing that's so sickening is that um, his family heard about her and her story, and they had met with other survivors that he had helped um, get out of the building. And they really wanted to meet with her, and she was kind of very hesitant. And Gee, very, I can't imagine why. Yeah, very. But again, people think it's like, oh, you Survivor's know. Survivor's guilt or exactly. something. 
And so she was like, I'll meet with you, but I'll only meet with you if we can, like, do dinner, very private, very quiet, whatever. Met with them. Um, and then got invited to speak at his memorial. And then she's too overcome with emotion at the memorial to even speak herself. She has a friend who's with her get up and read her statement. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, um, suspicions start to arise in the group. Her story starts to come unraveled. People are thinking like, okay, this woman, her story's a little too unbelievable, yeah. if you know what I mean. So it starts with Jerry, who, again, was another survivor. He was the one who founded the other group that eventually merged with Tanya's group. Right. And Jerry said, you know what? There's something hinky about these arm uh, scars that she has. He says, I think they look like skin grafts. They're not really looking like burns to me. Right. And suddenly, like, the other members start to start to get a little wise and a little curious. Now, all of these people are questioning it in their individual... Oh, in their individual minds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, but that's one of the points, though, is that, like... He couldn't have questioned her because... Other members, you know, aside from Jerry, start to question this, too, but they're all questioning it individually. And they're probably thinking, like, shit, God, I'm such a bad person. Exactly. Like, she went through all of this, and now on top of it, I can't believe her. Like, what's wrong with me? Yep. Oh, my gosh. That's such a struggle. So, Yeah. yeah. So, Jerry's individually questioning. The other members of the group are individually questioning. They're noticing the fact that Dave, the fiance, Mm -hmm. was a real guy, but that there was no mention of Tanya in any of his records, in his, you know, death information. And they're thinking that's weird, especially with how passionately he proposed to her and her story. So that was weird. Uh, He was saying how they never met Dave's family or saw pictures of him even. You'd think, you know, if she's a survivor, her fiancé died in the other tower. His family must still be involved with her. Or she'd have a a picture, you know, with something of him with all of the stuff that she's doing, telling her story that there would have been a picture of him that she's able to show. But again, like you said, nobody questioned it. Because they felt awful to question it. And also she was so involved in all of these, um, you know, organizations. And this one incident that was really, that was really uh, creepy, I guess, is how I want to say. She said that there was a, an event set up by, I guess it was Merrill Lynch, her, her old employer, for families of the other individuals the other victims who didn't make it and it was at the saint regis hotel and she went there she was very hesitant to go but they wanted somebody who survived you know from the who knew their their loved ones to tell her story right and she calls up her friend linda who is actually another survivor uh didn't work with her didn't know her beforehand But she calls up Linda and says, you need to come down here right away. These people are attacking me. They're, they're, you know, just going crazy on me and being awful saying. When meanwhile, they probably were just like, Tanya, can you tell your story again? Because it's really amazing. Well, if, if only that were even the case, I don't even think there was an event because Linda comes down. Tanya's on the floor of the hotel, like (gasps) sobbing. By herself. By herself, almost passed out. Linda goes to, you know, somebody in the in the in the lobby asking, okay, she's really upset. Is there somebody somewhere I can sit her down, get her, you know, whatever? And Linda told the individual about the event and they had no idea what she was talking about. <gasps> Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Tanya asked to go to um 
it wasn't the the main memorial for the World Trade Centers, but there, I guess, I don't know if it's still there, but there was another kind of memorial set up that listed some of the individuals that were killed. And her apparent fiance's name was there, so she asked Linda to take her there. She kept rubbing her hand over his name on the yikes memorial, and then was okay. Oh my god! Yeah, just, how ugh. repulsive! That is just so beyond creepy. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Well, so the following year, right in mm-hmm. two thousand six, she has an annual barbecue the night before nine eleven, and she's. All upset and panic-stricken because the New York Times is hounding her. Now, again, they wanted to do a write-up on her as a yes. hero and as a survivor. Yeah, we're coming up on the anniversary. Like, yeah, her story's amazing. Time again, like, and it's going to be, you know, the five-year anniversary. So the reporters are kind of asking her for details, everything like that. And she is just beside herself panic-stricken for obvious reasons because she's a phony baloney. So she goes to a lawyer to actually prepare a statement. And as she was doing so, she started to admit that there were some serious inconsistencies in her story. Yeah, so these inconsistencies with the lawyer, she had another friend, another woman from the Survivors Network, who actually set her up with this lawyer. Meanwhile, all your friends at this point are survivors. Yes, which is so creepy. Like, if you needed friends, get on Bumble BFF or some shit. You're in New York City, too. Yeah, you don't need to pretend you survived the world's (laughs) biggest catastrophe to make a couple of friends. So the lawyer asked the friend to sit out, you know, uh, confidentiality, talks with Tanya for two hours, and then eventually brings the friend back in, and these inconsistencies start to come out with Tanya starts talking about it with the friend and the lawyer there and at first it was small stuff like well it's okay if you didn't know Dave for as long as you said before you got engaged right stuff like that but this again is another piece of the puzzle where this friend now is starting to be like wait a second Uh, something's not right here the realization must have been nauseating for this friend for the new york times for everybody involved who thought this woman was the real deal and was a hero and a survivor and found out she was nothing but a fraud yeah yeah and so finally when the piece comes out a lot of these details come out and she really did kind of cover her bases on things but there are some things that were dead giveaways so easy stuff you know to look up and verify so she said she had degrees from harvard and stanford which, no record of why would you pick I know the I know. easiest to look up most prominent schools in the world potentially like yes. you picked Harvard and Stanford you right. couldn't have gone for like something a little smaller right well and here's my favorite like yes you idiot she says again that she worked at Merrill Lynch there's no record of her working for Merrill Lynch at all at the time and they didn't even have offices in the World Trade Which, Center. my God. Like, you think if you're going to stick to the story, if you're going to base you're your whole life. research a fake fiance. Yeah, then you would at least look up, okay, who was on floor 96 right. of the second tower. Because, come on. Yeah. Come on. Exactly. Like, you just didn't do your homework at this point. You're a bad liar. Exactly. It's honestly shocking that they believed her for yeah. as long as they did. But, I mean, then again, who would make something like this up? Right. Exactly. And so at this point, again, the the New York Times is just trying to verify her background because they want to write this great survivor's story. But after all this suspicion was raised, she had backed out of three scheduled interviews with with them. 
then she later refused to speak at all. And <laughs> so then they, they reach out to other members of the Survivors Network. And this is when <laughs> things get rolling. It's hilarious because if you think about it, all this time, these other Survivors Network people are like thinking in their heads, you know, it's fucked up, but I'm thinking this Tanya head right. person ain't all right. she's cracked up. She to ain't no, right in the no. head. She ain't right in the head. She lost a lost her head. Yeah. But yeah, they're all thinking, my God, I must be a real piece of shit for thinking yeah. this way. But this must have been so validating to be reached out to by the mm-hmm. New York Times, have them be like, hey, can you confirm A, B, and C details about Tanya? And have them be like, you know, those were the exact three things that I was suspicious about. So the week of September 27th, 2007, the network is fully disenchanted. (laughs) They're like, nope. They're like, you're out of here. They vote to remove her as the president and as the director of the group. Mm -hmm. And what's crazy, too, and so messed up, also stupid, is the fact that she stole a ton of her different facts from an interview in the New York Times with a woman named Ling Young, who worked in the New York tax department on the 86th floor of the South Tower, and she was in the sky lobby when the second plane struck. Yeah. So her story was true. It just didn't happen to her. Yeah, it wasn't her. Exactly. Like, yeah. Which, like, God, at least if you're going to lie about something that big, have some tact. I... Like, what do you think happened? Do you think that she, like, thought that she could lie about this to a couple of people and then it just got blown know. up do you think because she really took it in stride and well, she, she ran with it the group though that's, that's what, what i'm that's thinking but like sounds just as like what is going on it's not even like oh she stumbled across a group online right or like, like somebody ran into her she found this hot guy who happened right, to be a survivor right. and she was like i'm a survivor too it's not even like that this fraud no. came out of the woodwork she was actively <laughs> she made this her life she yeah. was actively deceiving people with ling young's story yeah so who was she actually we do finally find out and her name wasn't even tanya head after no, all that no it wasn't it was alicia or alicia i believe it's alicia esteve and she was born july 31st 1973 in barcelona spain she came from a very prominent family over Just there. Just like Hilaria Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Well, you can see a lot of, like, <laughs> where this stuff comes from, too, in her her past. And I wonder with Hilaria, I don't know enough at all about her background, but if she kind of had crazy stuff going on. In this documentary, The Woman Who Wasn't There, they actually do interview some of the friends and people who know her knew her when she was younger. And they said, you know, the family was very wealthy she was very spoiled. She, you know, had her own horse. She was, they, they say the youngest of five brothers. So I uh, think it could be like a translation thing. Maybe, I don't know if she had five brothers or she was the youngest of five. But regardless, she was the only girl and the yeah. youngest. Yeah. And apparently, now it all stems <laughs> back to being a fatty. Yeah. She had a whole weight complex. She got bullied viciously about her weight all throughout her youth. And when she was young, she went to study in the U.S., so that part was true. She was a very hardworking person. But despite being her being hardworking, you know, her family, I'm sure, was hardworking, but not the right type of hardworking. Yeah. Yeah. They were actually involved in a financial scandal in 1992. And her brother and father actually served jail time for this. Great. So not good stuff. No. And so she did actually go to college, but it was not Harvard or Stanford. (laughs) It was the University of Barcelona. And she worked for the Hotel de la Via Olimpicia, which is a Spanish hotel company. 
And she also worked in Barcelona later on as a management secretary from 1998 to 2000. She enrolled in a master's degree program, and she was part of that program when 9-11 happened. Right. So <laughs> she hadn't even gotten no. to the United States yet. Well, and and – Again, in this documentary, so a lot of the articles you'll read will say that she was actually in class on 9-11. And these friends, I think it actually is, makes it even, I don't know. Who would admit to being her friend at this point? I know. Well, I guess they say like former friends or childhood friends. But they said that this day, and I guess this week, 9-11 is actually a holiday in Spain. Oh my God. Yeah. So they have off, I guess, for like a week there. And... (laughs) Everybody verified that, okay, yeah, maybe they didn't see her for the week there, but she was in class the week after 9-11, and her arm wasn't falling off, and she didn't talk about going to New York. More likely than not, she was not there. Oh, unbelievable. when that happened. Well, yeah, and then we have this, you know, note about her first time in the United States being 2003. Yeah. And the injuries that she did have on her arm – Being from a car accident and not from a building collapse. Nope. Nope. That's right. Yeah. I mean, her arm was apparently from this car accident, actually was almost severed, which is awful. Yeah. That's rough. The car flipped. um, You know, it was bad stuff, but. Whole different story than the one you told. Totally different. Oh, my God. And it's hard, too. So, obviously, none of this shit was true. Right. But it's hard because it's not technically illegal. No, you can't arrest her on anything. Right? I mean, yeah, the broad's crazy and a lunatic Mm -hmm. and a bad person. I mean, my God. But since she didn't make money doing it, she didn't technically – I mean, I guess – I just wonder if, like, Dave, the real Dave's family – I know, could sue for something. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because that just – I mean, you brought him into it. he's also dead, though, too. Exactly. So, like – But it's, like, maybe a reputation thing. I I don't know. he's dead, though. Can, like, you sue for his estate? Yeah, and it it just – you know, she kind of – we don't really know what happened to her after the fact, too, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Is she still alive? Uh, as far as we know. Because I would have killed myself. I, I mean, just to put it bluntly, I could not live with the fact that I deceived all of these people who are suffering so much. Oh my God. I know. And you're going to take that story from somebody who actually had it? Like, my God. I feel like Ling could have sued her too. True. For stealing her story. Like, yeah. that is just, I don't know. I know. I know. Well, and I forget what year it was, um, but the... The documentary, like, she had gone off the radar for several years, and the documentary found her. She was still in New York at the time, so she was still working. Um, And then she did actually, I guess, move back to Barcelona. Um, She was fired from her position in July 2012 in New York. Yeah, once they learned about that. But after that, uh, I've looked. I've tried to look up. I can't find. Nobody seems to know where she is. She probably changed her name. Yeah, I would yeah. again. Again, <laughs> Tanya Tails. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Tanya God. Foot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but my God, I mean, what a hideous story of a horrible person. But again, I mean. <laughs> Thank God. The truth comes out eventually and the truth will set you free. So happy that we could set Tanya free and her story and all the actual survivors of 9-11. 
when she was out of the group. Oh. My God, that group must have flourished after she left. Yeah. Well, one of the women said that after everything came out, she received an email from Tanya showing sign of the times what what year that was yeah email was the cool thing and it just said hello (gasps) and that was it that is spooky yeah she said she deleted it didn't answer but it's like really you have the nerve to reach out show up again and also to only say that like not even not even sorry for like being a complete and total liar for several years yeah yeah it's just it's awful but it's it's a fascinating documentary and and a fascinating look because I don't know where they got this footage of these interviews with her, but it's people interviewing her where before her story came out. So it's crazy to listen to her tell these stories in such believable detail and then learn later, like, none of this happened. God, she should work as an actress Seriously. or, like, a storyteller or something because – there's something there. I mean, maybe you're a piece of shit, but you're a talented piece yeah. of shit if you can keep that lie going for I as know. long as you did. Remember those facts and all of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, granted, she did get caught in a bunch of lies True. eventually. But hey, I mean, the gall, the yeah. nerve. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Unbelievable. But anyway, we do have to thank, again, Sarah Rosen. Yes. Thank you so much for suggesting this story. It was so much fun to look into this and to discuss this today. And... For all of the actual survivors of 9-11 and their families, friends, whatever, we would like to join you in saying fuck you to Alicia Estive because she was just a complete and total liar. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is Betsy Boss Podcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. 